Hello, and welcome to the Zircona Growth Insights Podcast, bringing clarity to the complexities of consumer behavior. Episodes feature industry experts, partners, and guests across the 26 industries we track, representing nearly $4 trillion in global consumer spending. Our goal is to give you transformative insights and the most complete view of consumer and market opportunities. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Growth Insights. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, and today's episode is part of our Fresh Pulse series featuring Jana Parker, team lead, Circana's Fresh Foods Group, and Anna-Marie Rohrink, president of 210 Analytics, and wait for it, our valued research partner. Um, so ladies, right now we are gathered to talk about results from January, and there was something that kind of popped at me, and I'm a little, I don't know if I should be concerned about it, but it popped to me, and that is that the percentage of meals made at home decreased in January um, by a couple points, and it's still at 78%, but still that's down substantially from a year ago. At the same time, 94% of households are still very concerned about the food costs um, driven driven by inflation. In fact, 93% of those youngest consumers, the Gen Zs and young millennials, say that they're making more changes because of increased grocery prices. So I've got fewer meals, but really concerned about the finances. So Anna-Marie, I want to start with you. Is this something to be concerned about? You know, I I really don't think so. Um, We have to keep in mind that the holidays, December is always a month where we see a big focus on home cooked meals because we have family over, friends over. There's obviously the big holiday meals. So we see natural patterns happening throughout the year and December tends to be one of the biggest at home months of the year. Now, certainly when we look at January this year versus maybe 2021 or uh, even 22, it's a little bit lower. But we also have to keep in mind more people are back at the place of work. Uh, We know children are back in school. So it may just be uh, a meal occasion that is the breakfast or the afternoon snack, the morning cup of coffee. But certainly I would say it is. Uh, a bit of an eye opener for the retail industry that we were given uh, a silver lining in the pandemic where a lot of the dollars moved to retail and uh, we have to work hard to keep them at retail. And I think uh, Valentine's Day um, that just happened was a really good example of a holiday that used to be a very restaurant centric holiday and very much moved to retail and then people cooking something special at home. So how do you hold on to those big restaurant occasions that move to retail, but also how do you hold on to that morning coffee moment? And uh, we saw, for instance, in our reporting over the last couple of years that donuts have done tremendously well because people bought that four or six pack and ate it over the course of a week with our instructions to say, how do you heat it up? How does it taste great? Um, but how do we hold on to that? How do does that How does that not move back to the corner store or the gas station on the way to work? Jana? Yeah, I mean, I think you're totally right that every month of this year, we have to hearken back to the four years before. One of the best things we've been doing lately that's been really eye-opening, even though we've tracked every month, as it appeared between food at home, away from home, and you know, channel shifting and all that good stuff. But when you take a look at the five-year trends, 
We're making more trips to more stores than ever, buying less things by considerable amounts. And fresh then should have naturally had more of that. But I think the biggest thing we have to talk about in this new reality of more trips and more options than we probably even had in 2019, certainly than we had in 20 and 21, is food inflation to a lot of people means do not waste. And the big conversation that we've been having with our client base, especially in Fresh, is how much volume or unit loss is not indicative of a long-term trend. Because we know that over the last five years, I will say this, from a total fresh food standpoint, we are at even to where we were in 2019 in the amount of units in pounds sold. But some departments like meat and seafood are not anywhere near the pounds moved pre-pandemic, whereas departments like deli are actually moving more. And I think that that long-term trend is what we're going to have to keep gapping to because the last five years have really dealt a lot of people changes. And one of the things I wanted to bring back up, Joan, that you mentioned that hit me in the survey, the youngest consumers are the most concerned. If you're under the age of 35, You've come of age during a terrorist attack, a recession. You went to college during, you know, when things were going on with wars and uncertainty. And now you're an adult. And during this adult period, you've had first COVID and the pandemic changed the world. And now you have inflation over the last two years. No wonder a lot of these younger consumers are making changes more radically than boomers and even Gen Xers who are pretty much set in their ways at this point. And I think that's really manifesting itself, not so much in the department level data, but definitely in the category level data. And I think we're losing and alienating some younger generations by just waiting for them to become like their older counterparts. They've grown up in a world that is wholly different. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, but I do want to go back a little bit because I want to dig into some of this. And Jana, you just made a comment about some of those fresh departments. And I think you were talking about, like, um, you mentioned seafood. As I, what I perceive is that seafood is down a little bit. But when you compare to that pre-pandemic, you know, going back those five years, we're still consuming way more. Um, I think that if you drill in a little bit more, it might be around sushi. You know, maybe sushi is oh, what's driving close. it. But yeah, but but am I am I reading that wrong? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the seafood department, which is how most of our audience is probably doing it. Yes, I mean, as a consumer, you have to think about all things fish. Okay. Um, but you know, seafood was the only of the five or the six fresh departments that saw sizable penetration loss. We're at only 53% of Americans who are buying something from the retail seafood department. And our trips per buyer are also at 7.7. 7. So it's not just we've lost people, but we still have this fervent, frequent few. There's a pattern issue right now with seafood at retail. So it's so interesting that you bring that up, Joan, because I think the average American, we know that, again, for the how many years in a row that we've been serving people that they want to eat healthier and how much press was there around the Mediterranean diet, the pescatarian diet being good for you, it doesn't always mean we're manifesting that. But think about the opportunity in it. That's what's so fun for me about fresh. Consumers want to eat our foods, <laughs> but we're not necessarily seeing it yet. 
Yeah, you know, the interesting thing about seafood and to an extent meat as well is that um, younger shoppers, since we are on the generational differences here, shop the store very, very differently. And if you think about when boomers started to form their shopping habits, there truly were departments. They truly were a butcher shop within a store and a, and a produce department. Uh, younger shoppers already had the benefit of all our lovely cross merchandising displays. And you see that in their shopping where they're simply not coming as much to the back of the store to, to go to the meat department. They're not necessarily making as many trips to the seafood department. So the big question is, are we expecting to change their behavior and have them change the way they shop? Or should we really adapt to that shopper of the future and bring meat, seafood, everything else out of their silos and have those cross-merchandising displays, uh, especially seafood? The other thing I think about seafood, and it goes again back to the habits and, and the impact of price, we see that really in all departments. Um, you know, we've always taught the consumer that seafood is the more premium option, right? You go out to dinner, every meal is priced with chicken. If you want shrimp, if you want salmon, you're going to pay 5 to $7 more for that exact meal. So when consumers are in this balancing act that they've been in for two years, Maybe they automatically, because we have trained them to do so, skip the seafood department and find that cheaper option. We're certainly seeing that in the meat sales where chicken is outgrowing other proteins. And, and John and, and Joan, we, we see it in produce. We see it in many different departments. But I have to add, before I turn it over to Jenna, that throughout the pandemic, we talked nonstop about all these consumers getting new skills in the kitchen and seafood sales were going through the roof. It is breaking my heart a little bit to think that we're losing penetration. Now, Anna Marie, I totally get it. We, as an industry, we should be changing the way we are approaching shopping habits and consumer behavior and lean in to how those younger shoppers are behaving. Um, Jonna, I'm sure you have opinions on this, so take it away. I didn't. I I, I just want to point out, um, I love talking to you both because we get so passionate about this stuff, and I agree about the breaking my heart. I really feel like this year, and I plan to bring it to all of my industry conversations as well as my work with my clients, this is an inflection point for an entire industry, and I think Fresh is feeling it, I don't want to say more than CPG or non-retail industries, we have always done things a certain way. And there is a wonderful base. One of the amazing conversations I had at the beginning of this year was being part of the IDDBA committees as we prepped for the show in June. And the people pointed out something really important. At certain retailers and in certain categories, continuing to make sure that the, let's say the older generations find what they need and not alienate them. The biggest complaint that our retail partners have heard is when you rearrange a store, people are upset if it's the store that they've always been. They almost feel like they've lost loyalty. Like you're not, you're trying to turn away from your base to go toward the future. So I think we're really at an inflection point in 2024. We know that the behavior and the life and the expectation and the optimism of consumers under the age of 40 is very different than the experience of consumers over the age of 40. I think the stat that is most stark to me is certainly I want to talk about the different foods that people buy, but I want to emphasize this, especially in bakery, deli, and uh, dairy, as well as in produce and meat. Younger consumers see club and mass super 
as their go-to store in a way that I think older consumers are horrified by, and especially those in the industry who turn their nose up at a pre-packaged donut or a you know non-made-in-store deli salad. Younger consumers are prioritizing how this fits in their lifestyle and the value and the the biggest thing is food waste, right? And not wasting. And I think as it relates to some categories, that's about simplicity and packaging and offering. And I think in categories like seafood and meat, yes, we upskilled. We do still see some growth that on occasion, and I mean like once a month, consumers, especially younger consumers, are making a day of cooking. They're literally making it a very involved exercise. But the other days, they want it easy, relevant, meets their needs. And we have to remember that that doesn't mean their first stop is the grocery store for either of those occasions. That to me feels like our inflection point to stop trying to then be the freshest grocer ever. <laughs> right. And right. that's not freshest, back. It means something different to many people. You know, you remind me of a, a fun survey question I asked in the power of meat that will come out mid-March. And um, we asked shoppers, what is your all-time favorite meal? It was astounding to me to see the difference between Gen Z and boomers. So Gen Z and boomers had one thing in common, and that was chicken. All the other ones among Gen Z, pasta, sushi, lasagna, pizza, ramen. I, of course, had to be the research geek that I am, split my sample into age 55 and up, and there was not a single shopper age 55 and up that even put ramen, and yet it makes the top uh, items among Gen Z. Now, we can't reset the store to reflect everybody's favorite, but at the same time, if you think about our opportunities to have closed that gap between inspiration and purchase, right, where you see a recipe online, you add all the items, you have them delivered within an hour. If we think about the recipe suggestions in general that we make, people don't cook very long, to your point, on most days during the week. Um, they cook very different meals. So maybe it is not so much about the big roast as it is about stir fry ready beef or pre-cubed chicken for the, the various pasta meals that they like. Um, and so we really have to look at not only are they shopping in different places, how do you bring them back to your particular retail establishment? Certainly, if you think about meat, the full service department is a very big thing for boomers. It is almost meaningless to, to many younger shoppers. Uh, the different meals, the different preparation methods, right? If you look at uh, how much younger shoppers love their air fryer in particular, the Instant Pot seems to be uh, falling off a little bit. Um, but certainly... The different times, the different types of meals, the certain preparation, everything is different. And that just to your point means how do you cater to different audiences all at the same time? We saw something so similar when we looked generationally across our departments as the favorite foods. If you think about the way that the deli has changed, I keep bringing up deli because of the five fresh departments, price has affected all of them as well as though I'd say Delhi has had the most transformational change of the type of foods that we're offering at every channel. And truly the ones who've evolved the most away from, it has to be made in store, it has to be hot. Those are actually the retailers who are honestly doing the best. But when we look at the assortment of most grocers in Delhi, especially prepared foods, meats, cheeses, it's very much aligned with the senior boomer Xer. Um, 
And then when we look at what the Zs and millennials are buying from retail deli today, it's things like cookie trays, snacking packs, Hispanic pastries, things that are more explorative, things that they might not do themselves. So it gets back to the dimension of value. And for younger consumers, the real dimension of value, I hate to use the generic term, but I do love it, is relevance. I think we as a younger society has grown up in a world where what you want can be achieved, right? What you want to buy can be found in relative ease. You don't have to compromise your expectations. And, you know, I want to bring up that why I think we're standing on an opportunity moment is while retail food, especially fresh food, saw a decline in units and volume last year, we are seeing increased trips. Furthermore, as we at Circana looked across every industry that we measure well beyond CPG and fresh food, there is one industry that did incredibly well in the last year, and that's Prestige Beauty. And from talking with our group that knows way more about that than I do, and if you're looking at me online, you know I'm not a Prestige Beauty girl. <laughs> We're no makeup this morning, but we have this magic moment in Prestige Beauty of relevance. Has definitely drawn an interest in upgraded and upskilling makeup and skincare for the younger generation. At the same time, Xers and Boomers are aging and willing to invest in a better experience. And I just made a parallel between fresh food and beauty because I honestly think the same is true for any fresh food department. If we bridge the gap, if we recognize that those two groups are coming to us as retailers and suppliers for different things and then show them what each is, we won't. Could you imagine talking to a 18 year old about anti aging? No, they want to know what's the latest cool color and trend. Whereas, you know, yes, I did happen. I think one of our podcast chats, we all downloaded a new root cover up. So I think beauty, which hey, is totally hey, hey, secrets well. here, secrets. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was me, it wasn't the other ladies. But where I'm going with this is we could all sit here and look at every one of these trends, and I've certainly been in the conversations that feel just how are we going to turn the tide? But we have to look at other industries that are doing it through relevance, and we have so many foods and so much interest to do so. I love tying things together, you know, like finding the parallels, finding the commonalities. So I'm all about the, you know, the using beauty as an example. But how is that going to shake out in store? Um, you know, I, I'm going to go back to something that Anna Marie said about just the cuts of meat that people are attracted to. I'm one of those over 55s who couldn't find a roast and couldn't find a butcher who knew. Like, what are, you, what are you talking about? A chopstick? I'm like, no, my friend. So, you know, think about that. It's like I've, I've adapted or I'll adapt, but um, I don't know. You know, Joan, you remind me, I do a lot of consumer interviews. And when talking to shoppers, I'd say about 55 and over, there's always one word that they use relative to counters, and that is the kid. The kid in the counter who knows absolutely nothing. I didn't. Um, I didn't say that word, did I? Uh, no, no, no. But no. I saw you thinking it. <laughs> I know. I called no. him my friend. Um, my friend. You know, John. I mentioned something earlier about the channels that are growing, and super centers, of course, are a big one of them. One thing they have in common is they do not have service departments for the most part. 
And a lot of times my phone rings and it's those traditional supermarkets that are struggling with finding labor relative to whether it's the seafood counter, the meat counter, deli counter, et cetera. And they ask me, well, do we still need the counters? And I said, you know, the answer lies not in do you still need it? The answer lies in are you making it a point of differentiation? Because if you have it, you better know what Joan's favorite roast is, how to cut it and how to give her advice on how to cook it the best way possible. And if you're just using it as an extension of the meat case, then no, you might as well uh, get rid of it. And I think that is the big thing that is happening right now. A lot of supermarkets have uh, reduced the size of the counter, have reduced the hours, have reduced it back to cut to order kind of thing, at which point are you bringing enough differentiation or is it at that point, you know what, I might as well buy it at the super center, the club store, whatever it is. And so it really comes down to who shops at your store, how important are these services and are you making that a point of differentiation or not? You are so right on that sometimes it's the question behind the question and not chasing the face value. You think about what loyalty uh, the club stores have among meat shoppers. I would argue that when we look at our channel shifting and certainly when I do leakage trees and look at exactly where certain, you know, certain different regional divisions are leaking to, to you do see different from Supercenter, where I think the biggest thing about Supercenter is, is people don't walk in expecting that service, but they expect value, they expect selection, and they expect stock displays. That's it. So yeah, it's nice to be someone who that's your free pass. But then I also think about club stores, and they've struck a really interesting balance. And I think it manifests in meat the same way it manifests itself in clothing and ramen, actually, because if you haven't seen the number of varieties of ramen offered at a club store, it's kind of insane. They strike the balance of we are going to have limited selection that we've curated, curated for you. If you've ever stood, I am Western, so Costco is my club store of choice, but I definitely have been to BJ's and Sam's, and I think all three of those club stores have differentiated themselves regionally, as well as which consumers they draw for a lifestyle standpoint. And while I don't do a lot of meat shopping, I actually really love that Costco, adjacent to the raw meat, is heat and eats prepared foods, cheeses, snack items, dips. I know I can go to the back of that section and whether I want to cook and really invest. And by the way, when it's seafood season, what do they do? They bring in an extra seafood display, a limited time only offer. And then, hey, I can get my big thing for what I'm investing in cooking or when I'm going to make a great Sunday meal. Then, oh, look, they're sampling this really cool dip. Oh, I love dip. It's so relevant. And it's because they curate a selection that is in line with the name on the front of the store. I think the biggest opportunity in Fresh remains the same it was when I started doing this in 2003. You can't, you've got to think about who and why you're attracting that. And I think the biggest asset for supermarkets, you know, I'm privileged enough to get to speak at the NGA show in a super session next month. It's actually in a couple of weeks. And I'm actually really excited to talk to independent grocers the same way I'm excited to talk to our, our best supermarket friends you have the benefit of way more stores and local doesn't mean making sure that the farmer down the street is stocking your produce. Local means that you can tweak and tailor little things about your department to make sure that you're connecting. So the answer to go back to Henry's example with butcher cases, why would anyone make a wholesale decision across 300 stores or even 50 stores? There probably are some stores that are incredibly relevant to have that service case. And oh, by the way, let's say store A has this 
great relationship meat manager who's known in his market, but then store B is in a little bit younger of an area. But imagine if that store manager of store A, I'll use Scottsdale as an example here. I live in just over the border in Scottsdale. If I started shopping a smaller store, but it said Jim Smith, meat connoisseur who runs Scottsdale blah, blah, blah store, and there's little signs up that say what he would pair these things with, I don't have to have a butcher case. I just got the benefit of that other butcher case now in my store where I want convenience shopping. We have people who know how to curate amazing selections and best examples. I think we can really use that. Yeah, we see that all the time on social media. Whenever the butcher comes on for the retailer, that is the post that gets five to six times the engagement than any other post. The butcher is is just a beloved figure. And to your point, uh, how do you make it relevant, right? How does the butcher talk about his beloved stir fry um, if it is on TikTok? And how do you talk about it, uh, how, how his beloved roast when it's Facebook kind of thing where we just draw very different audiences? So I want to pivot a little bit and talk about um, produce, which also has seen a lot of sales declines. Um, and I'm sure that there are, are positives you know, in there. So, John, I'm going to ask you about that. But are there parallels between produce and meat, John? I'm going to let Anne-Marie, I want to pull up the very latest data because you're spot on. But Anne-Marie, would you mind talking about the parallels? Because I think you've really seen it. You've been working on power of meat and power of produce in tandem. So what are consumers saying is parallel? You know, what's interesting in produce is that it gets bought many, many times a year compared to some of the other departments. So if you talk about salmon, it's it's a handful of times a year. If you talk produce, there are staples in there that get bought nearly every week or every so many weeks. So people are hyper aware of what is going on with the prices. And I think therefore having much faster reaction to when things start to gear up or come down. So we actually saw a very opposite movement here in January for produce where fruit that had inflation brought the dollars to the department and uh, vegetables that saw deflation in many of the key areas, especially potatoes, those prices are starting to come back in line on a much better crop, had an 8% increase in, in potato pounds. So in other words, uh, because people have those price points in their head a whole lot more, they are starting to react a whole lot faster. And of course, on the fruit side, you have that enormous impulse um, experience as well. But yeah, I think there are some really interesting examples in produce. If you think, for instance, about uh, packaged salads that have not had a great year versus loose lettuce, where you do a little bit of work yourself, it really illustrates that pressure on income where maybe convenience has taken a little bit of a back burner seat to, uh, to price in some of those areas. And also we talked about waste. We all know the minute you cut something, it doesn't last as long as the original product. So I think a lot of those trends, waste, price, convenience, everything comes together and it is just a constant balancing act, which one wins. And it probably depends on uh, how much month and how much money we got left. (laughs) Putting that into consumer words to look into the data is exactly right. What's interesting about produce is there are, I think we track something like over 200 sub-segment or sub-categories, which is our version of you know, down at that lower level, it's more diverse in terms of the amount of different foods that you see in that department. And it's the department where we most see 
key staple categories, the highest sellers like bananas, potatoes, grapes, tomatoes, they declined way more in traditional supermarkets than they did in Mass and Club. Bananas is a great example, negative 4% volume in 2023 in food supermarkets, up 4% in Mass and up 3% in Club. Bananas are an excellent example of where it's something we all know with amazing household penetration. Kids love them, adults love them. Actually, more people buy bananas at least once in a year than buy berries, but berries is growing everywhere. So I bring back what Anne-Marie said, which is how am I gonna use this? How does this fit in my life? Is it there and among many choices? Whether we're talking about seafood and it's, we're thinking about seafood in a silo, but to that consumer, it's what am I putting center of plate in an infinite number of choices? The same holds true with produce. If you're thinking about fruit, you're thinking about a healthy snack. Well, we also know separately in our consumption data that healthy snacks weren't doing that well last year, and therefore fruit actually came down. But it hit different fruits differently. And one of the things I did for tomorrow's webinar, Top Trends and Fresh, is I wanted to look at berries because I've talked about them so much <laughs> in the last several years. And of any produce department that we talk about or any produce category, the only other one who's really had a transformation in how it's sold is lettuce as well as potatoes. But I wanted to look specifically at berries because I can theorize, as Anne-Marie said, a lot of recipes now actually say, buy your own lettuce and make your own toppings and dressing. That makes sense to me that that's a value. Potatoes, we know they've trended smaller and people have found new ways to use them and quick cook. But berries, 20 years. Why is it still the top volume unit getter in produce and now arguably in the store? What we found was one key insight from our consumption data, and I go into this more tomorrow, but the insight that we found was berries are used much more often than previously, as well as much more often than other fruits at the breakfast occasion. So year over year, we've seen a growth in berries. At the same time, we've seen a growth in beverages and people consuming their nutrients through a glass. While not all of the berry growth at breakfast is related to smoothies, it's definitely correlated to that, as well as the rise of things like oatmeal, which has also seen prominence in the breakfast occasion. Berries go great with oatmeal. At Starbucks and many other places, you get fresh berries with your oatmeal. Berries became so versatile and so relevant and synonymous to Americans with an entire part of the day. Any other product and produce can become relevant if we listen to the consumer and not just think about how do we sell more in the way we sold it before. So this has been another fascinating conversation. And again, even though we didn't say solutions, not silos, now we are talking about listen to the consumer. Um, Anne-Marie really focused on that balancing act. And I know you were talking about it in terms of produce, but I think if we're going with Jana's inflection point, now is the time for retailers to be thinking about that balance all across the store. You know, I heard the combination, that trifecta of waste, price, and convenience. Um, but I think that you're, you know, this all started with talking about inflation and the fact that there are certain categories, and we'll use produce here, where it's such a frequent purchase and there's such a good memory of the prices that we feel we should be paying, that that's what's maybe um, really hitting consumers the hardest. So across the store, one of the things that I really liked so much about today's conversation with all the generational differences, and I think we could just go on and on about that, um, because we have to be focused on the shopper of today and tomorrow, um, while not letting go of like the, the higher spend people, 
over 55s like me who may or may not use a touch-up every once in a while for her hair. Thanks, Jenna. So <laughs> with that, I want to thank you both for your time and look forward to talking to you next week. And Anna Marie, you mentioned Power of Meat is coming out soon. Yes? Yep, March 17. Um, we got produce, we got candy, we got lots rolling out between the Circana and 210 teams. Excellent. And Jana, I know that we're recording right now in February, um, but you've got a Fresh Trends webinar coming up tomorrow. So by the time people are listening to this, they can find the recording of that on our website. So with that, I want to thank you both and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the Zirconic Growth Insights podcast so you don't miss an episode. And let us know what you'd like us to cover. We'll serve it up in a future episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review Zirconic Growth Insights. Want to learn more? Visit us at zircona.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.